This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. It's already been a crazy day around here as we welcome you into a Tuesday drive. Roberts on pins and needles as his Ravens get set for the Cowboys tonight. B-Dot didn't feel very confident, by the way, talking to him on the IG Live show yesterday. Jalen Hurts, he's now the starter for the Philadelphia Eagles. Right before we get the new college football playoff rankings, Michigan-Ohio State canceled. We'll get into what that means for the Buckeyes in 15 minutes. Speaking of the Big Ten, we've got the ACC Big Ten Challenge, starting with Duke and Carolina in action tonight. (sighs) But before we break any of that down, I think the football world owes David Gettleman an apology. I'm looking at all the Panther fans that have called into this show that I've spoken to over the years since he was fired in 2017 that say he did a terrible job in Charlotte. I think hindsight tells us that's false. And now that the Giants are competitive and they're in position to win the NFC East, it had me thinking, how did he become such a punching bag? Is it his raspy voice? Is it the tinted glasses? Is it his round belly? His old school football guy mindset? Because a lot of NFL GMs look like Gettleman and approach things like Gettleman and aren't nearly as successful as Gettleman has been. But none of them at that position, NFL GM, has taken as much of a beating on shows such as this one as Gettleman, it feels like. The football world and Panther fans owe Gettleman an apology because he's doing the same exact thing in New York that he did in Charlotte. He's giving the Giants a chance to win. He's putting them in a position to win games. Carolina, this is kind of amazing. For a 500 franchise, right down the line, last 25 years, Carolina, a 500 team. The five years he was the GM, Carolina missed the playoffs one time. The year after the Super Bowl. Carolina missed the playoffs one time in the five years Gettleman was the GM. He cleaned up a terrible cap situation and had Carolina competitive 15-1 and going to the Super Bowl in 2015. I get the criticisms. Oh, but he didn't draft Cam. He didn't draft Luke Keekley. He did clean up the John Beeson, D'Angelo Williams cap situation, made things tenable where they can sign better players, And guess what? I've always defended Gettleman as a drafter and as an evaluator of talent. His track record in the draft's really good. Robert, let's just go through it. 2013, every player, I think every draft, Robert, Gettleman's found at least one Pro Bowl caliber player. Oftentimes, more than one. Here are the drafts he had in Charlotte. 2013, Stard Latulalei and KK Short. Those were his two first picks. 2014, Pick Trey Turner up. 2015, Shaq Thompson and Daryl Williams. 2016, James Bradbury. Got him in the second round out of Samford. Not Stanford, Samford with an M. 2017, how's this going out? First round pick, Christian McCaffrey. Second round pick, Curtis Samuel. Third round pick, Taylor Moten. That's not bad. It's a good track record. A lot of GMs, they strike out. Every draft, he finds Pro Bowl caliber talent. It isn't to say he's eh, he's perfect. He hasn't missed. Vernon Butler, that was certainly a bust. Kelvin Benjamin, we thought that was really good after the first year, but he wasn't the same after tearing his ACL in 2015. So he's had some misses, but that's a pretty good track record. I've defended the Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones picks ever since they were made. Some of you think, don't draft a running back ever in the top five. I know Gettleman's approach to this because he's told me this. When you're picking in the top five, you want to pick a Hall of Famer. You want to pick the guy you're most confident is a Hall of Famer. I don't care what the position is. I'm confident Saquon Barkley's a Hall of Famer. There you go. I don't think he's wrong on that. Saquon's one of the best running backs I've seen the last decade. You could talk value of position. He picked a damn good player. Daniel Jones. Day after that draft, Gettleman's getting made fun of. Dave Gettleman's being laughed at. He's the laughing stock 
of football. How can you pick that guy in the top 10? And what I said then is what I'll say today. You can criticize the evaluation, but you can't really criticize the philosophy. You could criticize Gettleman thinking Daniel Jones at that time was better than Dwayne Haskins. Sounds ridiculous to do today, which is why I think a lot of people owe Dave Gettleman an apology. But at that time, I would understand that criticism. The criticism I didn't understand, people saying, oh, you could get him later in the first round. You had a pick, 12 picks or so later. You can just wait. Well, not if you think you have a franchise guy. Quarterback's the one position I have no issue teams reaching at in the top 10. Just because of how important that position is. If Gettleman believed, and clearly he did, Daniel Jones is a franchise guy, you go after him. And I have reason to believe Daniel Jones could be a really good player. Look at what Josh Allen's doing last night on Monday Night Football. Daniel Jones reminds me a ton of Josh Allen. So I'll defend those picks tooth and nail. Gettleman's doing the same thing with New York that he did in Charlotte. Valuing the front seven, not really valuing wide receiver, trading away the popular Odell Beckham Jr. the same way he cut Steve Smith, and it was unceremonious when he did it, but it turned out to be the best thing for the team. Opened up some cap space to bring in guys like Leonard Williams, who's been really good on the D-line. Picking up a guy like David Mayo in the middle of that linebacking core. Signing James Bradbury, who's been awesome. They've made moves to have a strong defense and to build that way, and it reminds me so much of what happened in the early years of Gettleman with Carolina that soon led to them going to the Super Bowl. They were made fun of, the Giants, picking Joe Judge to be their coach. They wanted Matt Rule. Carolina got one under them. Now they're just going to hire a random dude. That's how it was presented. I didn't pretend to know. It seems like that's a pretty good hire now. The Giants, they're playing hard in every single game. So why did it end with Carolina? The only reason I point to is that he lacked people skills. You can't be all evaluator and no people skills, no relationships with the players in the organization. Gettleman had zero that. He lost respect of the players because of how cutthroat he was. Picture Billy Bean's, uh, Brad Pitt's depiction of Billy Bean and Moneyball minus the analytics. That's Dave Gettleman. That's what he is. You know, guy, he didn't want to be around the players because he knew he had to cut them. He didn't want to have those types of relationships. So when word got out around training camp that he wasn't going to extend Greg Olson or Thomas Davis back in 2017, those players raised a stink about it. And guess what? Jerry Richardson liked those players enough that he sided with them and let go of Dave Gettleman. That was a big piece of it. He didn't earn any type of capital with players in terms of relationships, and you just can't do that. You just can't do that. But he was right about Josh Norman. Most of his drafts were really good. The football world made fun of this guy for years, so I'm going to stand up for him right here. I thought he did a good job in Charlotte, and I think he's doing a good job in New York. I think a lot of people owe him an apology. Robert Walsh, the producer of this show, 336-777-1600 on Twitter at SportsUpTriad. How are you doing today, Robert? I'm good. So are you going to say sorry, or is it everybody else that has to apologize? Oh, I've, I'm not apologizing. I've backed this dude and ticked off Panther fans <laughs> in the process for three years, man. You hated the Bradbury signing? You hated the judge hire? Can you just say sorry? I didn't hate the judge hire. I said I didn't know. I did bash the Bradbury hire because, you know, you're not going to pay any corners in Carolina. It surprised me that he did that. So but it turned out to be right. You're still not saying sorry, though. I'm sorry about the Bradbury hire. There you go. Or the Bradbury signing. I was wrong on that. I didn't know about Judge, and I defended the Daniel Jones draft pick. But to, to bring up something you brought in your first pick, you said that uh, he, he figured out the cap space by handling the D'Angelo Williams and the Beeson signing. I would say that he hurt the Panthers with most of his free agent signings, whether it's Khalil, whether it's Matt Orr. Or Michael Orr. He brought in a lot of guys who... who Khalil was an excellent player for Carolina. Khalil was not an oh, excellent player. Oh, which Khalil are we talking about? I'm talking about? about the tackle. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I was being... I was about to say the math didn't add up. I don't think about Matt Khalil. I acted like that didn't even happen. <laughs> Ryan Khalil is who I was thinking of. That's what I think of. Uh, who was the other one you brought up? Michael Orr. Oof. Just not a lot of great at free agent signings. So I think it kind of evens out. Yeah, he kept players people loved, but I mean, he's made some signings that probably lowered Cam's shelf life a little bit instead of going out and drafting guys. But You're right. They didn't really ever go after many free agents. 
But you can't argue with the results of four playoff appearances in five years. So I'll defend Gettleman in that regard. Let's shift things to college basketball. Big, big night in the ACC. It's the ACC Big Ten Challenge tonight and tomorrow. I think the next two days, it's a legit measuring stick for the ACC, more than I think it's been for this challenge over the last five or six years. These are seen to be the two best basketball conferences. I know the Big East folks probably going to get mad about that, but the ACC hasn't left really a good first impression over the last few weeks. North Carolina, Duke, Florida State, Virginia, the top four in the ACC, they haven't really impressed. Virginia Tech fans are arguing they're the best team. Hard to really argue against them when they've already beat Villanova and they're unbeaten at the moment. But when you look at the ACC, it's kind of staggering. There are three top 10 ACC football teams, three, that we're going to see tonight in the college football playoff rankings. Only one top 10 ACC basketball team in the AP poll, though, and that team's ranked 10th. That's Duke. The Big Ten, they've been remarkable as this is happening. So hopefully the ACC doesn't get waxed because potentially they could. Carolina and Duke, they have the most to prove tonight. Carolina coming off a loss. We don't know if Garrison Brooks is going to play in the game. Maybe Brendan Marks knows more and he's going to join us in a little over 15 minutes. Carolina needs to learn to play with more urgency at the start of games. Duke. They're playing another top 10 team going into Cameron Indoor Stadium. A week ago, it was Michigan State just taking Duke's lunch. Now you got Illinois and Cameron. You're going to let that happen back-to-back weeks? We'll see tonight. Carolina, Iowa, number three team in the country with the preseason player of the year, Luca uh, Garza, leading the way. That's a 7.30 tip. Duke will start around 9.30, 9.45 against Illinois. Then tomorrow, Virginia, Florida State, they'll both be in action. They're going to be tested too. I believe those are the top two teams in the ACC. We only have a one-game sample for Florida State. They didn't look great, but then again, it is their first game. Virginia, they're facing a top five Michigan State team that beat Duke and Cameron. How's that going to look? Probably going to be ugly. First team to 50 wins. Florida State, meanwhile, crazy to think all these years they've had good basketball teams. Never beaten Indiana. They're going to be the favorite to win tomorrow night. We'll see if that happens down there in the Tucker Center in Tally. Coming up, though, SEC. You like apples? Keep it here on The Drive. Let's go! And QID. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. We've got word from management that I need to pass this along. Strict instructions that this radio show did not have enough big frame glasses and it needed to be made better looking immediately and needed to be made smarter immediately. So in order to fill those requirements, we're now going to have hopefully at around this time each week, Brendan Marks from The Athletic join us, join us, who covers Duke and Carolina, of course. We've had him on several times, so this works out pretty well. Brendan, it's good to have you with us on the start of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. I'm not so sure that I can satisfy any of those requirements other than my uh, kaleidoscope binocular-sized glasses, but I'll do my best. Yes, that's what we need you for. On Twitter, at Brendan R. Marks. Roy Williams, I'll tell you what I love about hearing Roy press conferences, you never know what he's going to say. If you ask him something about a player's health, usually you have to try and extract that information from a coach. Like He was asked about Anthony Harris yesterday, and he said, when he's practicing, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to try and hide it from you or anything like that. And then in the middle of one of his answers about something unrelated to Garrison Brooks, he just decides to drop, oh yeah, Garrison with his ankle, he hasn't even practiced all throughout the weekend. I don't even know if he's going to be able to go tomorrow. Well, that tomorrow is now tonight, and it's number three Iowa and Luca Garza on the floor. How does your view of Carolina's chances tonight change if Garrison's unable to go? Yeah, well, well, first I should probably preface by saying that I'm fairly certain he is going to go. Um, you know, had some conversations this morning. Uh, you know, he made the trip to Iowa. 
he, you know, it seems like he is going to at least try and give it a go. Obviously, when he sprained his ankle against Texas, he left the game, came back, left the game again, came back a second time. So I think it's more of a pain management thing than anything. But but if he is unable to go, or even if he's limited, obviously that completely changes sort of the outlook for UNC. Um, I think that in that situation, you would probably see Dayron Sharp get the start in his place. And, and I think that you'd see Dayron play a lot of minutes. Um I will say I think the biggest detriment that losing Garrison would be is that I think right now he probably has the best defensive understanding of what UNC's bigs are supposed to be doing. And obviously against Garza, um, that's going to be hugely important. So not saying that it's impossible for UNC to win without him, uh, but certainly it would be much more difficult. Looking at the top of the ACC, Florida State, they played just one game. Virginia, they haven't looked too impressive, losing to San Francisco, going to overtime at JPJ with Kent State last Friday. Duke lost at home to Michigan State a week ago, and Carolina's coming off that loss, as you mentioned, to Texas. Now, I think Virginia Tech, crazy enough, might have the best resume first through the first handful of games, but nobody projected them to be a top four or five team in the ACC. Do you have any kind of feel right now who the best team in this league might be? You know, based on resume, I agree with you, Josh. You know, right now it's clearly... Virginia Tech, undefeated, win over Villanova. I mean, no one else in the conference has a signature win like that. Um, but beyond that, I think I would venture to say that, that as wild as it is, I, I think North Carolina might be the next best team in the ACC right now. And the reason I say that is just because um, I haven't seen enough from Florida State. You know, one-game sample size is, is only so much. And if we were judging rankings off of UNC and Duke's first games, we'd have a completely different outlook on the season. So I'll sort of hold off on reserving judgment on Florida State. But, um, you know, I think when you look at where these teams are at, Virginia, you mentioned some of the struggles. And, and integrating some of these new parts, I think, is going to be something of a challenge for Tony Bennett. Um, not that he's not capable of doing it, but it's going to take some time. And, and whatever's happening with Kihei Clark and, and the situation there and figuring out the best role for him, um, clearly this is a team that's still sort of figuring itself out. Same thing for Duke. Um, the talent's all there. The pieces are all there. As for how they fit together and the best ways that they do on any given night, I, I think it's sort of a crapshoot at this point. So it, it's going to be one of those situations where those teams take a little longer to develop. And while I would say the same about North Carolina, there's also the fact of this. There's a little guy on the – you know, they've got one guy on the roster who's the ACC preseason player of the year. You know, their other starter, Armando Baycott, in the post was a five-star recruit a year ago, and he looks like a completely different player. Leaky Black is finally healthy. Um you know, and for my money, I think Leaky Black has a chance to be on the, the nationwide all-defensive team the way he's looking right now. So um, UNC's freshman backcourt looks like freshmen, but, but I think UNC has the proven pieces right now um, around these, these young guys, these talented five-star freshmen, to sort of make it work for the time being. I don't think that's how the season is going to end up, but, but right now I would probably give North Carolina the edge as the quote-unquote best team in the league. Since we hope to have you around here more often, I need to let you in on a bit that we do, and we've been doing for over a year now. Every time Armando Baycott's get, name gets mentioned on the show, in whatever circumstance doesn't matter, Robert plays this cut. Armando. So just know that anytime you're on this show and you bring up his name, Robert is going to play that cut when you're done speaking. Who's, whose name? Armando Baycott? Armando. That's right. How do you okay. how do you separate Duke and Carolina? Because for me, this is the first time in four seasons Duke doesn't have a dominant interior player, and it seems like, especially with younger teams, that you want more efficient shots. So that way, you have something that that you can bank on more if the outside shots aren't falling. And Carolina has that over Duke in a way they haven't had in a few years themselves. That's how I separate them. How do you, as somebody who says after Virginia Tech? you'd probably go North Carolina at the top of the league. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with Duke right now is just fit. Like, I think, you know, what, what we may have expected at the start of the season is, is sort of rapidly changing in front of our eyes. So, you know, I, I think through three games, it's pretty obvious that the guy on Duke's roster with the most upside is Jalen Johnson. Um, he is so big. He's so strong. He's got the ability to, to change direction. Um, you know, I loved when Duke in, in the opener played him some at the five, you know, a small ball five and let him grab boards and initiate the break. I mean, that's what he excelled at doing. 
Um, and at least until his jump shot comes around, I think a lot of the offense and a lot of the load sort of needs to flow through him. Um, at the same time, you know, a guy like Matt Hurt looks a lot better. He looks like someone who uh, is going to be a consistent deep scoring threat for Duke. He's going to get more rebounds. Um, those two guys I feel really good about, but I'm not sure that there's anyone else on the roster that I know for sure what their best role is right now. Is Jordan Goldwire best in the starting lineup or is he best off the bench? You know, what is Wendell Moore's best position and what's fair to ask of him? Um, these, all these five-star players they've got coming in, they've got DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, Jamin Brakefields look really good recently. Is Henry Coleman okay? I mean, they, they've got so much talent. That part is not in question. I'm just not sure outside of Johnson and Hurt, what are your best lineups? What are your best combinations? And I think there's a little bit more certainty in that respect with UNC at least early on in the year. Follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan R. Marks. Read his stories at the Athletic Carolinas, including a story on uh, Duke Today talking about how Duke's experimenting a bit with their lineups that they've thrown out there. Uh, Enjoy the ACC Big Ten Challenge tonight and tomorrow, Brendan, and we'll talk at about this time next week. Sounds great, Josh. Hope you and everyone else are staying safe. There you go. Well said. That's Brendan Marks from The Athletic on Twitter again at Brendan R. Marks. Robert? We've got an update on Panthers-Broncos. No new coronavirus cases for the Panthers football team overnight. That's pretty good after yesterday where eight guys were added to the COVID reserve list. I think, see, you're a Ravens fan, so your perspective on this, I'm sure, is different than fans for most teams. But it seems like to me, if they're not going to cancel a game or even postpone a game when the Broncos quarterbacks are in such a dire situation they have to put Kendall Hinton out there and they're not going to cancel or postpone after all the stuff that happened with that Steelers-Ravens game next week. What would have to happen in order for a game to get canceled? It would have to be the apocalypse. And, I mean, they kind of did postpone the Steelers-Ravens game. It got right, pushed back. Right, the Denver game didn't get postponed. You're right, the Ravens game did. It, it would have to be the apocalypse. Or okay. I, just an absurd number of people are knocked out to where you can't field a full team, which, I mean, almost happened to the Ravens, but with practice squad bodies, I, I can't imagine that a situation would arise that that would happen. But Do you agree with it? Do I agree with what? That they Them won't? Them just pushing forward. In some cases, I think there should have been – they should add another week. I don't see the problem with it. I know they have to add another team to the playoffs that way, but I, I don't see a problem with it. I don't think anybody's complaining about another week of football with it stretched out like that, but they're the ones making the big decisions. They're the one making the money. So, Would their opinions change if it's not Ravens-Steelers on a Wednesday afternoon that was supposed to be played the previous Thursday, but instead a playoff game? Like this is what you're you've been building towards. It's single elimination. Would the perspective change? That they would they're not gonna cancel a postseason game. They're not gonna cancel, but at that point, would the value of just one of those postseason games be such that they'd be willing to sacrifice the week in between the Super Bowl? You know, the free week in order to allow for all these games to get played fairly. I don't know. I don't see why not, because they're not doing the Pro Bowl this year. It's virtual. And that's usually what that week is. So I don't see why they wouldn't do that. There's not like a lot of people are going to be traveling anyway. Yeah, and not a lot of people are going to be traveling for media day and such or anything like that. But maybe the thinking's this, Robert, that teams, if you give the two-week window, it would be a lot easier to quarantine the teams and wherever the Super Bowl is supposed to be, lock it down so that way you have no cases for that game. Yeah, but they're just going to keep pushing it back. After the Super Bowl, their dates are wide open. they got nowhere to be. So they'll just keep pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back until they can fit something in. We'll see. We'll see. I'm interested what happens if this is happening the week of a playoff game versus it's the Broncos and the Panthers and neither of these teams are going to make the playoffs. Up next... The NFL's last great hope to knock off the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. Right here on a Tuesday drive.
Ready? Yes. Punch up the audio for me now. <laughs> You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Is it okay to be happy for your exes? That's what the Carolina Panthers and their fans are probably asking themselves this week as they watch Cam Newton and the Patriots win 45 to nothing, beating the Chargers as if they're Alabama and the Chargers are Kent State. Or looking at Ron Rivera beating Pittsburgh yesterday. The Giants with Dave Gettleman. And James Bradbury, Seattle, even though they lost to the Giants, Greg Olson, he seems to be in a happier place than he was in Charlotte the last few years. Is it okay to feel happy for your exes? Like when I look at my Instagram, I see some exes of mine getting married, getting engaged, having babies, all that. And, you know, I feel genuinely happy for them. But I guess the answer to the question will always be, it depends on how things were left. It depends on the circumstances. Because I do think it's okay to be happy for your exes in some situations, but in others, not so much. Take Cam and Ron Rivera. I think it was time for those guys to move on. It was best for both parties for there to be a change of scenery so I could feel a lot happier for them. Ron knows it. He left on good terms with the Panthers. Since he was fired earlier than when coaches are usually fired right after their last game, he got a decompression phase, and it allowed for him to pursue a job and be hired immediately by the Washington football team, I think, right after New Year's. You might remember Dan Schneider wishing everybody a happy Thanksgiving when, of course, he meant Happy New Year, one of my favorite videos of the year. Crazy to think that happened this year and not, you know, 55 years ago because that's how long this year has felt. Cam, if he was on the Panthers this year, you know and I know the conversation after every single game, does he deserve an extension? Are you going to franchise tag Cam? He's old, 31, 32 years old. Can you really have that guy for a rebuild? How's this all going to work? And it would be a distraction, and it would probably stunt the growth of Carolina, but instead they have Teddy Bridgewater, who's going to be cheaper in the long term, next three years, $20 million a year, no guaranteed money on the third year, no pressure, he's friendlier, he's, you know, not abrasive in any type of way, a good leader, understands the offense that Joe Brady wanted to run. It was best for both sides that you move on. So while it might take some time before you start hanging out with those exes again, there's a chance you guys could be friends in the future. I'm going to call Ron Rivera and Cam Robin Scherbatsky's here where Ted and Barney can date Robin, both of them can, and she could still be part of the friend group because it ended on good terms. That's who Cam and Ron are. Now let's look at the ones that might be more difficult. The New York-bound Panthers hurt more because they didn't have to go. Carolina didn't have to fire Dave Gettleman. They didn't have to fire him a week before training camp and disallow them from having a seamless transition between Gettleman to Brandon Bean. Brandon Bean now with the Buffalo Bills as their GM. Star Latulolite. You could probably still have him around if you handled things correctly. James Bradbury. Turned out you would like to have that guy in this division with Brady, Matt Ryan, and Drew Brees in it. He's having a great year. He's an all-pro, it looks like, for the Giants this year. Those seem to hurt a little more. That's like in the Steve Smith category, where you didn't have to let Smitty go. We like those guys. And even though none of them are as beloved as Smitty was, eh, it's a little bit more difficult to move past it when you see these people as guys who can help you right now and you didn't quite have to part ways. I don't have a TV sitcom example to bring up for those two. Or for those few. It's not going to be easy to move past some of these, though. Panther fans, they miss Luke Keekley who retired. They they miss Greg Olson seeing him in Seattle. Cam, Ron, 
you know, the Giants, the Buffalo Bills. But it reminds us, these management jobs, they're not easy. Everybody likes to pile on the GM when teams are losing, even when you're winning. The fact that Panther fans dislike Dave Gettleman, I won't understand it. I won't. I get he got rid of some of your favorite players, but the Panthers made the playoffs for the five years he was here, and they won the division three out of those four times. (laughs) I mean, what else you want? You went to the Super Bowl 15-1. and Oh, but that was just Cam, and that was just Luke Keekley. I mean, I'm getting it here from a Giants fan. Mark writes in, your line is busy right now, or else I'd crush you on this Gettleman BS. I'm going to crush you. 336-777-1600. We got Darren Gant who's going to join us in 10 minutes. It's okay to be happy for your exes. Robert, you strike me as somebody who would be really good at finding middle ground with people that you've dated before. You're good with these types of things. You're very likable with so many different people. So is it okay to be happy seeing your ex do well, seeing your ex thrive? I mean, yeah, I guess it depends on who your ex is and how well they're doing. Like, if they're doing too good, no. Hell no. Give me an example of an ex you've had without bringing up names, of course, because I know you have no care at times to do that. Uh, Or, you know, you might bring up a name. Real names here. But uh, give me an example of an ex you haven't been happy for. I don't know how to give you that without saying their name. Like, what am I supposed to do? Tell you let's that they... call. Let's call her Claire. Okay. What did what what? How's Claire doing now? Is she doing like so well that you're like, man, I kind of ruined it. I mean, no, I didn't ruin anything. I'm a great boyfriend. Okay. But in most cases, I think people outgrow people, and distance happens, and it's not really anybody's fault. You both kind of just grow up, and it's how how dating life is now. Oh, I just meant like you see someone post dating. And you're looking at it while wow, she's doing a little bit too well. No, I'm not I mean, if you're dating Reese Witherspoon before she's Reese Witherspoon, gotcha. and then all of a sudden she's in Legally Blonde, you're not like, wow, I really hope this climbs to the top of the charts. Yeah. You're like, oh, I hope this busts. I hope they make a, a, a second Legally Blonde, and it's trash. And it was. <laughs> That's really well put. Um, I've had friends um, that had were dating minor league baseball players, and then the moment they move up to the big leagues, they get broken up with immediately. Yeah, you weren't hot enough. Tough. Hate it for you. Tough. Really is. But I'm glad you brought up the example of the inverse, where Reese Witherspoon could say, I'm Reese Witherspoon, and you're Josh Graham. So we're going to break up here and move on with things. On Twitter at SportsUpDryan, 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Robert, where's your headspace at on this Ravens-Cowboys game? I'm pretty positive. Ravens got most of their people back. The Cowboys line hasn't looked this week in a long time. They put Zach Martin on uh, IR. He's out for three weeks now. Uh, I, I think they'll win. I don't know if it'll be very convincing. I think it might be a tight game. I don't know. It depends how Lamar feels coming off COVID. There's a lot of questions, and I think that we're going to get a lot of answers this week rather than having to wait a couple weeks. If the Cowboys beat the Ravens, Dot is going to be insufferable in here tomorrow. And that's cool. I'll give it to him. I mean, they've had a terrible year. They lost their quarterback. He, he lost this bet. They've had a rough year. And if they get a win right here against a, a post-COVID Ravens team, good for them. The Ravens, they have a pretty easy schedule from here on out, but it's easy because the Dallas Cowboys are on it. So if they lose today, well, they have a Monday game next week against the Cleveland Browns. That, I mean, the way that Cleveland's playing, that's tough. Baltimore right now on the outside looking in for the playoffs. So really, there is a case you can make right now that if Baltimore doesn't win the night, they're not making the playoffs. Yeah, why would we do that? Why would we have that conversation right now with me? Let's have the conversation that Baltimore wins tonight. Yeah, well, I'm just adding the You're entry. just trying to pile on me and oh, no. make me mad about, oh, Ravens are going to lose. The whole season's over. Oh, Robert no. I'm can dive saying, into draft stuff. I'm just saying this is a really big game. If they lose this game, well, you have the Browns and you have the Giants, and we've learned the Giants' defense is going to be a problem for anybody. So that's that's how big tonight is. And 
it just comes to show you. You talk about tomorrow's headlines. If Baltimore wins, the tenor of how you feel about them going into the final four games, completely different than if they lose to a Dallas team that, as you said, had a really rough year, 3-8. and eight. That's not a team you want to be losing to at home. Why do the Ravens get so much flack, but nobody's talking about how bad the Seahawks are because they lost to the Giants? Because if the Ravens lost to the Giants, that's the conversation we would be having right now. Well, we're not talking a lot about Pittsburgh either. Well, I, I think the reason why is we're not concerned about Seattle, whether they're going to make the playoffs. It's not a concern. Just no, like but Pittsburgh, people still we're not have concerned. them in the top five power rankings, sure, even I, though they've lost to right, the Giants. Power, power rankings, I get why we do those things. I understand it. They get the clicks. People react to them. But what I'm saying is Seattle losing to the Giants falls into the same category as the Patriots losing last year to the Miami Dolphins at the end of the year or losing to, let's say, um, the year before that to the Lions and Jags and losing by double digits in both those games. Upsets happen in the NFL. They happen all the time. But what you look at now, the games that carry a lot of urgency, that require teams to win, how do you perform in those spots? Pittsburgh wasn't feeling a spot where they were any kind of concerned about their playoff positioning last night, and they lost to Washington. Um, I don't think it's any bigger than that. Seattle, I, I have that viewpoint as well with the Giants game. When I look at Baltimore right here, they're a team that's been on the fringe right now. And quite frankly, they, they have an MVP quarterback that's less proven than Russell Wilson. So there's going to be more discussion surrounding him than others. For sure, but that's that whole power ranking thing, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about get you. the base of this loss. So as soon as they lost to the Chiefs, the Ravens sucked. <laughs> that's what everybody say. Oh, they can't beat the Chiefs? Who cares? Who gives a rip about yeah, them? You know, you can find dumb takes anywhere and everywhere. But that's why I just try to limit it to what we talk about. And none of us have said that the Ravens, after losing to the Chiefs, bad football team and I don't think they're a bad football team but tonight is going to teach us quite a bit because seven and five feels a whole lot different than six and six all right let's talk more about Dave Gettleman how did he just end up the laughing stock among NFL GMs oh and on top of that did he do a good job in Charlotte we'll discuss that with Hall of Fame voter Darren Gant next welcome to the show that cloned the Loch Ness Monster and got her drunk. The Drive with Josh Graham. Robert, I'm asking a question I honestly don't know the answer to. I see that the governor is adding restrictions because of the rise of COVID cases in North Carolina. There's going to be a stay-at-home order from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., starting on Friday. Tonight, Duke basketball is playing a game against um, Illinois at home, 9.45 start time. We're seeing how the orders in Santa Clara County and uh, California have affected the San Francisco 49ers, have affected Stanford, which is staying. Their basketball team is staying in Chapel Hill right now and practicing in the Tar Heels facility when they're not there. Would this order... If they said this was effective immediately, let's say, Robert, would this allow or force Duke to have to play at a different time? Is that what this would mean? Like, could you play basketball games at 9 o'clock if television wanted it to be that way with a stay-at-home order? I'm sure they could give people a waiver. This isn't like a don't go out of your house. This is like a stay in your house from this time period. So if people were playing, you could, just like if you worked at a news station and you had to do an 11 o'clock broadcast, you would get a waiver. To sign that, but I, I don't know. I'm not a professional. The only reason I asked that is because we got a release from Duke yesterday. Maybe they were tipped off to this. They were set to play Saturday at 8.30, which would go past 10 o'clock at night. That game was rescheduled to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I wonder if this is a piece of that. I don't know the answer, but tonight we'll watch some college basketball with North Carolina-Iowa at 7.30, Duke facing... Michigan State, or excuse me, facing Illinois at 9.30. And we're now being joined by Darren Gant to talk some NFL ball here. And I want to talk about Dave Gettleman because I do believe Carolina Panther fans, I believe the football world at large, 
they owe David Gettleman an apology for the way that he's, you know, took the Panthers to the playoffs four of his five years in Charlotte and seems to have the Giants in the right spot with the coach. Everybody made fun of Dave Gettleman for hiring a quarterback they picked up in the draft that everyone made fun of Gettleman for thinking was better than Dwayne Haskins. And they're in a pretty good spot and position to try and win the NFC East. But let me start here. Why did Gettleman, you think, become the NFL's punching bag? Um, well, I mean, let's be clear. I mean, everything is a little conditional when you're talking about being on top of a division or near the, you know, in good playoff. It's the NFC East. It's miscongeniality. I mean, it's the, <laughs> you know, nobody is really going to be scared of whoever comes out of that division. I mean, the Giants have done some good things to prove themselves resilient. Uh, Washington's done some good things to prove itself resilient, but neither one of those are, are teams I would consider juggernauts or really threats to the top teams in the NFC come playoff time. Now, that being said, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Dave's, a, Dave's an interesting cat. He's willing to march to the beat of his own drummer. He's not into groupthink necessarily. He drafted running back high when everybody swore that that was a disaster. You know, it's interesting to see the way they've stitched it together there. I mean, it kind of defies convention, the way they're winning games at the moment. I mean, they go to Seattle and win with Colt McCoy and Wayne Gallman, you know, doing the heavy lifting. So I don't think anybody necessarily expected that. But Dave is, you know, Dave's an old-school guy, and, and, and it's easy to make fun of old-school guys when the fashionable thing is to be you know, analytics-minded or, you know, young and computer-savvy and all that. He's not any of those things. So I, I think that combines to, you know, his willingness to put himself out there in unpopular positions makes him an easy target sometimes. Now, in hindsight, how would you grade the job he did in Charlotte? Uh, he did okay in Charlotte. Again, it's it's there's a temptation to want to give this guy a grade. I mean, I know there are people in, in Charlotte that want to count up Marty Herney's record. And, and I always struggle with how much of that 15-1 and one do you give Marty Herney credit for? How much Dave Gettleman? I mean, Dave did a good job of taking a, a pretty talented roster and getting it over the top and, and exercising some financial restraint for a little bit. Now, at the same time, he left a little bit of a hole for other people to dig out of on his way out. Uh, so kind of comes and goes. I mean, it's complicated, isn't a very fashionable answer in a hot take world, but that's kind of the way it is. I mean, I, I think there are strengths and weaknesses to both ways of doing business, and, and it takes a different skill set sometimes to stitch together something out in the field and get them back on their feet than it does to perform brain surgery. <laughs> Darren Gamp, Panthers.com Hall of Fame voter with us here on Sports Up Triad. I'm interested in what you think, now that we have years removed again from this, the number one reason why Gettleman was let go, was it simply he lacked in the area of building relationships with players, um, people's skills, and uh, raised enough of a muck with guys like Greg Olson, Thomas Davis, that were looking for extensions, that it went above their heads and Jerry Richardson said enough? Um, I, the lack of bedside manner certainly didn't help. Um, and that's an, again, Dave's not going to apologize. Dave's not going to, you know, ever hope to win the press conference. That's not really his deal. Now, that being said, Dave's an engaging guy. He's personable. I, I think he has good, I thought I had a good relationship with Dave, but, and a lot of other reporters have over the years too. He's not a guy who plays the game necessarily. You can kind of tell. Uh, and again, this is me going behind the curtain in journalism a little bit, but you can tell the re the GMs who talk to a lot of reporters because they get mentioned as smart a lot on in the national media. Uh, Dave's not a real game player in that regard. So you know, again, I think that goes back to the first question you asked. But I I think a lot of it was. The owner was insistent on doing business a certain way. And there were a lot of people, you've heard this a lot in the last three or four years, people said they were tired of Jerry Richardson running a football team like a mom-and-pop organization. 
which is fine as long as you know what's coming on the other side. And Dave sort of opened the door to the other side to show you what it was like to not be sentimental. And, and I think it's reasonable to suggest in hindsight that Dave was right to not want to overspend on Greg Olson, to not want to overspend on Thomas Davis. But that was those were Jerry's guys. And you don't mess with Jerry's guys and do it with impunity and think the boss isn't going to be – uh, unhappy with that at a certain level. And, and I think, and again, I, I say this in all self-awareness. I mean, Thomas Davis blocked me on Twitter for pointing out that Dave Gettleman got fired because of the way he handled Thomas Davis's contract. Wasn't personal. That's just how it went down. And you can not like it if you want, but that's, doesn't make it not the case. So uh, it's, it was complicated and it was messy, but ultimately I think Dave's biggest problem was, uh, interpersonal communications, but was that his fault or was that the fault of the guy who fired him? Don't when, know. When it comes to Cam, Ron Rivera, and even to a smaller degree, what we saw with the Giants on Sunday with Gettleman and James Bradbury, is it possible to be truly happy for your exes thriving? Um, I think sure, as long as you're doing better than they are. Uh, <laughs> um, my ex-wife's not listening to this, is she? I don't think so. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it, I think it's fine, and it it is a, a mature way to have adult relationships, to say, hey, good for you, be happy. And, and listen, I'll be honest with you. The few people left in the Panthers building who have familiarity with Ron Rivera, with Dave Gettleman, are delighted for him because, for the most part, those were upfront guys who people had good working relationships with. Nobody in Charlotte should be mad at Brandon Bean for taking a GM job when one was made available to him and making the most of it in Buffalo. Nobody should be mad at Sean McDermott. That's every business in the world. I mean, you know, Josh, you got friends there at the station. If you get an offer from ESPN Radio one of these days at a national show, you're probably going to jump at it. And that doesn't mean you don't like these people you work with now. That's a good point. ESPN, hit me up. Darren Gant with call us here. Call me, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a call. Uh, Darren Gant, Pro Football Talk previously, now with Panthers.com, and on top of that, still a Hall of Fame voter and an all-around great guy. On the way out, I'm looking at teams, now that the Pittsburgh Steelers have been exposed for not really being the best team in the week. Still a really good team, not the best team in the week. We think it's the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think most people would agree with that. I'm starting to think about teams that are best built to give them a challenge in a one-and-done setting in the playoffs. And the team I keep going back to, as crazy as 2020 has been, this sentence might be the craziest thing I've said. The Cleveland Browns, I think, have the best shot at beating Kansas City when you consider the Chiefs are 27th against the run this year. And that's not mm -hmm. that's not yards per rush because, again, you might factor the Chiefs are up by a ton. Why would they be running that much? No, it's rushing yards per game, which is staggering that they're that bad against the run, and the Browns are second in the league in rushing. Plus, I look at the Browns, they get pressure on the quarterback, third in the league in takeaways. They can maybe make things uncomfortable for Pat Mahomes. And Baker, eh, no picks in the last five games. That's a guy trending upward, it seems, at the right time. I think it's the Browns who are built best when you factor in making Mahomes uncomfortable and potentially running the ball well. Is there anybody you look at that might have a better shot at beating Kansas City in a one-and-done? Um, you know, I think, and again, I'll say this with my customary, you know, condition. All this depends on health. I mean, if Pat Mahomes tests positive for COVID the week before a game, you know, obviously, and in the situation we're in, you can't rule any of that out. So everything's truly week-to-week. -week. I, I agree with you to the extent with the Browns. You know, they have – they have the ability to shorten a game, to ugly it up, maybe create a turnover or two, and and give themselves a chance. I think that's what's interesting to me about the Browns is when they were front runners, they didn't know how to handle that, and they didn't play well that way. But now that they've kind of embraced who they actually probably ought to try to be, which is a bunch of mutters. I mean, again, when you're not as talented as the team in, across from you, your best bet is to clutch and grab and punch below the belt if you can get away with it and ugly the game up as long as you can and give yourself a chance in the last two minutes of the game. I, I think 
Baker Mayfield is built to be that kind of quarterback. Thinking Baker Mayfield was a franchise-level Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers-type quarterback's a, a fool's errand. I don't think he's that guy. I don't think he's ever going to be that guy necessarily. But what he's doing right now fits within their system. And you've probably heard me say this a million times. Fit is the most important thing in the NFL. You can have all the parts you want, but if they don't go together, it doesn't matter. And the Browns' parts didn't go together before. But they look like they go together a little better now. Darren? It's good to hear from you, man. I've enjoyed the yeah, stuff man. you've done so far with uh, Panthers.com. I look forward to reading more of it. Anything Ooh, I might want to cool, keep cool, an eye cool on? Stuff. Hey, let me just tease it. Please, please. With you. There's a Christian McCaffrey story coming this week Ooh. that you're probably not going to read anywhere else. Did you, did you catch Ed? I've caught a lot of people. You okay. need to check it out later on this week. I'm not sure exactly when it's going to drop, but I think we've got a story you're not going to read anywhere else. Yeah, his dad is great, man. Um, I used and his to. Mom might be even better. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously with the Broncos, he was great, but he yep. was with the Broncos Radio Network with Dave Logan. Uh, Dave still does the games in Colorado, but uh, yeah, I look forward to reading that. That's a great tease. Follow him on Twitter at Darren Gant and follow his stuff Panthers.com. Good to hear from you. Great tease as well. That's radio quality stuff. You would you would expect to hear that places like ESPN Radio. So appreciate there you, you doing it, buddy. Call me then. <laughs> there you go. That's Darren Gant. Y'all have fun. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of the best. Uh, Darren Gant joining us from Panthers.com. Doesn't that make you want to read that story now? McCaffrey, something regarding that? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know he's going to play this week. It is kind of weird. He was talking about it yesterday. That the Panthers played the Broncos in the Super Bowl in 15. The next year, they opened the year against each other, and the Panthers missed a field goal that would have won that game. That was in Denver. Well, the way the NFL schedule works, you play teams in the other conference every four years, which means teams don't visit certain stadiums, but once every eight years. And that might even be an entire career. The unlucky thing for McCaffrey was they played at Denver, his hometown, the year before he got drafted by Carolina. So the next time Carolina would be set to go to Denver, 2024. Tough break. Yeah, just a tough break for Christian, who played four times in that stadium in high school. Excellent, excellent high school player. Really good. Uh, which gets you to Stanford, and of course, I think one of the most underrated college football players of the last 10 years. Probably should have won the Heisman Trophy in 2016. You go back and look at that case, um, you can make a case for Deshaun Watson. That's when Lamar won the award. So, is it Lamar Jackson who deserved it, or is it Christian McCaffrey, that's one of the bigger what-ifs college football the last decade. Did Lamar play in his bowl game? Lamar did play in the bowl game. Hmm. Voting didn't count for the bowl game. I was just asking. Just asking. <laughs> but I, it is one of those things, like, if you're a West Coast player, your case, it, it gets hurt unless you're playing for a top-five team in the country. Stanford was really good, but not a lot of people, I think, were watching Stanford. What do we got... Real quick, before we get to take it to the house. Tomorrow, Doc Emmerich is going to be with us. Excited to catch up with Doc, who's one of the best broadcasters, I think, to ever live. So really excited about that. Dot's going to be in studio. We might be catching up with Brian Geisinger as well. Talk a little hoops as we got North Carolina, Iowa tonight. Duke going up against Illinois. Look forward to that. The Bachelorette. Cowboys, Ravens. A lot to do tonight, which means tomorrow's show is going to be tremendous.